Broadcasting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM, HD1 Columbus, The Fan. Were you knee-deep in football yesterday? Will you be stuffing your face with football today? Are you a fan of bold opinions that may or may not be stupid? If so, you've come to the right place. Indulge in some pigskin. It's time for the football brunch. I hope your coffee is hot, your mimosa in hand, your pancake syrup, and your hype level high. It's Chops and Eric Reeser with the first football brunch ever here on The Fan. And we've got a big Buckeye win to break down for you and more. Eric, how are you feeling this fine Sunday brunch morning? Good morning. My coffee's cold and it's got pumpkin in it because I'm a crazy (laughs) person, but I'm feeling pretty good. That was... Uh, a day yesterday, and I haven't figured out the right adjective to uh, put with it yet because it's way too early for that. But <laughs> it, it look, I mean, I think Ohio State got what it wanted, which was the win, and mm-hmm. then you got to see everything about a football game that you may or may not have wanted to. But again, that's something we can break down in these two hours. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a it was a big win for the Buckeyes, but it was shaky r- right off the bat, which was something that. I think a lot of Buckeye fans were nervous about. There were shades of the 2018 defense, I think, that came to people's minds. But the Buckeyes did pull it out 52-17 to at home over the Cornhuskers. Ohio State, fifth-ranked team in the country. They are 1-0. and Let's start with that first drive for Nebraska. Let's just get it out there. It didn't look great. I said on Friday on Bishop and Laurinaitis that I thought they would use uh, Luke McCaffrey in some sort of gadget way, figure something out, and there it is. First drive, motion him from out wide back to the running back position, and he just takes off for, what was it, like a 40-some yard gain, something like that, and that set up their touchdown right off the bat, which always makes you feel a little nervous to go down right away. Sure, but if you're Scott Frost, and you know you called it uh, uh, earlier this week, but if you're Scott Frost, you have to go to, your, you know, to the deep well of tricks that you've learned over the years. I mean, the talent level between the two teams was clearly evident throughout the game and it was just dumb fundamentals by Ohio State in that first drive and I think Scott Frost to his credit knew that if he could get gadgety with it and get McCaffrey in the ball game lined up motion him up and that they had a chance to do some serious damage because they were going to need to come out and strike early and strike quick to keep it a game with the Buckeyes but you know things got away from them obviously due to the insane amount of talent that Ohio State has. Yeah, and I think it was also maybe just like a first-game jitters thing. Yeah. Watching the defense early in the game, it looked like they were just over-pursuing one direction. So any sort of misdirection or kind of tricky run, they were not in position to make it when it was where the play was actually going. And that kind of evened out throughout the game. Nebraska had a 7 nothing lead, and then that was over with. Although only a 10-point lead at halftime for Ohio State. But I don't think too many people were worried once we got really into the second quarter. Were you? No, I, I mean, I, I wanted to ask this of you and, and Bodie real quick. At any point in that game, were you worried about Ohio State? Like, were you worried that there could be a chance that Nebraska gets the upset? Because I had none. Even if it was 7 nothing, or when uh-huh. it was 7-7 and 14-14, it was just like, Ohio State's still going to win this. They're, they're going to look bad. They're going to look sloppy. At least I thought going into this. And the rest of the conference looked pretty sloppy outside of Wisconsin. You know, just because 300 plus days had gone by since their last time any of them had really played a football game. They had two weeks, maybe, or a little over two weeks of actual tackling, of actual hitting. And really, 
no, you can't replicate in-game reps if you don't have a game yeah. for a little over, you know, le- less than a year. And, and so for these guys to come out and, and to look like they did, for me, wasn't all that surprising. I would say I wasn't nervous that Ohio State was ever going to lose, but when Nebraska did come out and score that first touchdown, there was a little bit of worry that, oh, are we in for one of those like classic Urban Meyer, Indiana-type games or that Maryland game with Haskins where it was back and forth the whole time? Because, you know, it was a 26-point spread, and I thought they would cover. They ended up doing that. But when Nebraska scored that first touchdown, there was a little bit of me was like, oh, are we going to be in for a long day where they got to pull out something in the fourth quarter and just pull away? But no, it really wasn't that. Nebraska only scored 10 more points the entire game after that opening touchdown. I'll be honest, when Nebraska went up that quickly, there was a part of me in my head, and I didn't say this out loud because I was around uh, friends that were Ohio State fans. I just go, yes, because (laughs) I did the same thing last year against Miami. Remember how goofy that game got off to a start? Uh That Ohio State-Miami game feels like a decade ago. That's just how this year's gone. But I I think that's good that Ohio State got down early and that they they let Nebraska waltz up and down the field on them early. I I think that's good for you later on in the season, good for some of the younger guys or some of the least less experienced guys on that defensive front, in that defensive secondary, and even for the linebackers. You know, some of those linebackers remember that Purdue game uh, was two years ago. They they Mm -hmm. remember those those really tough, non-tackly kind of games that were after they heard about it for what probably seem for them like an eternity like oh they, they, they suck they can't tackle you know get them out of the ball game but for that you know to have the experience to you know kind of ratchet things up and uh, I, I'd say they played with a better sense of calm as the game got on and, and that's what you need with the experience to show mm-hmm. to your younger guys and so to have again your linebacking core with as, as many snaps as they have collectively I think it showed. Again, like you said, they scored 10 points from the, for there on out. They were shut out uh, in the fourth quarter. They had that field goal in the third. Uh, a really stout defensive performance, and then you got to score defensively. So you pretty much checked all your boxes, didn't you, if you did the Ohio State defense? I think so. I mean, I was a little worried at the beginning because the whole week they were talking up the linebackers and how it might be the strongest unit on the defense. And in that first quarter, it did not look like the linebackers were going to be the strongest unit on the defense. But like you said, it kind of evened out for them. Baron Browning and Pete Werner just seemed like they were out of place in like that first quarter, maybe a little bit into the second. But then they figured it out and everything. And like you said, it's just so hard to prepare for live action when – you know, you're in practice this whole time. It's been so long. I think I saw it's been 49 weeks or something yeah. like that since Ohio State has played live football. So a, a crazy ask for them to be right on right away. And they figured it out throughout the game. I think this is we'll get to the offense here in a second. But I think this is one of those games where as a coach, it's it worked out perfectly. Huge win. But there were things that are going to be on film that you can fix. And so now it's up for you as a coaching staff to fix that. I have confidence in Ohio State's coaching staff to be able to do that, to figure out these things that, okay, we're not going to let us get so fooled by a backup quarterback motioning into the backfield. We're not going to let ourselves get so confused by a fake handoff and then Martinez goes the other direction. And so there's things to work on while also being able to celebrate a big win. The one thing that they hadn't seen, that it looked like they hadn't seen before, was we're going back to that Martinez trickeration, is because they hadn't done it before, Nebraska. And they didn't mm-hmm. have any film on what you've never been able to do. So how do you scout for that? <laughs> so for anybody to sit there and be like, oh, this defense, you know, they let these things like that happen. They don't tackle very well. Well, it's the first, I mean, we're going to do a lot of this over the, the next hour and cha- two hour, I guess, 
yeah, over the next two hours, and really until we actually get more games under our belts, is just overreact because it's just been one game. Yeah, and, and it's not some... God, if you've been watching college football as it's restarted here, this is not something that is unique for Ohio State. Even down there, I've been watching you know some SEC games. We don't need to talk about Big 12 defense. But th- those SEC, ACC, those types of games, those guys have had bad tackling performances in their early games. It just seems to be a product of this weird season and everything that's going on. I don't think it had anything to do with the crowd. I think once the game started, it made sense for the players. They had the three things they needed, them, another team, and a field. And that's all they really needed to play the game. I think they weren't really affected by that. I really think it's just the weird prep of this year, especially in the Big Ten's case with starting and stopping so often. Yeah, and I think you got to tip your hat to the coaches for getting them into the horseshoe over the past mm-hmm. couple of weekends to have that Saturday atmosphere to where it really becomes not, it, not nothing's routine about this season, but to have some semblance of a routine to where, all right, Saturday morning, we're going to gear up, we're going to put our big boy pads on, we're going to go clang and bang in the shoe, and it's going to be quiet, and they might have some crowd noise piped in. I, the, the cardboard cutouts thing looked weird at times, but really, <laughs> you know, when, like you said, when, when you get into it, it it's, it's a football game, and they were able to, I think shake off any rust or weirdness pretty early on. Um, I think the I think the pumped in crowd noise was handled correctly. I think it sounded pretty good throughout there. Uh, let's move on a little bit to the offense. We've talked mostly the defense right now, who figured it out as the game went on. The offense run game not there yet. Didn't look great. We know the offensive line is going to be a strength for this team. At least presumably we think it is. The, the running blocking didn't look great. It didn't really look like. Uh, Sermon or Teague were able to break tackles. But the pass game, not only was it great, all the receivers that we've been talking about seemed to get involved, although there really weren't that many uh, pass attempts. Justin Fields only had to go 21 uh, throws. He completed 20 of them. He had a great game. He looked like everything we expected him to be. So the pass game there, the run game not. But I don't think you can really be bad or mad at Ohio State's offensive performance yesterday. Uh, Yeah, and I'm not really worried about their ground attack, save for one thing, and this is going to sound, uh, I guess the word would be uh, snooty, because just the, the uh, embarrassment of riches that Ohio State has, but I think I'm going to find myself getting annoyed here pretty early at what they're trying to do with the running back situation, because if you look at you know the carries, Teague and Sermon were, were pretty much, were, they were exactly even. Uh, I think, actually, Sermon might have gotten one more. Uh, okay, yes. 12 for Teague, 11 for Sermon. There we go. And it's just like, look, there were plenty of situations, at least early on, where it's like, Teague should be in this game. There were third and shorts. There was a fourth and short. Mm-hmm. And it was Trey Sermon. And I'm like, are, are we trying to just appease the guy? Because, hey, look, I, I get it. You know, transferring in and, and you, you know, lured him outside. You know, you lured him out of the portal. And that's mm-hmm. great and all. But if Teague's your guy, and at least I think Teague should be the bell cow back, especially in smaller situations or short yard situations. It, it's give him the ball. Get him comfortable with that. Because you were saying that, or as you were saying, that they look like they weren't able to break away from tackles. And the offensive line's got to get together. And they're starting, I think, again, one game is is really nothing to be too one way or the other about, but there's got to be some continuity, and that comes with games. And with Teague, he'll learn kind of how to break out of those tackles. He's going to learn, I think, to get a little more comfortable with however his Achilles injury. It, it healed. The coaches said it healed, but I do think there's a, a sense of... of you know, upstairs where the first cut you make or, or the first time you go into a wall of gigantic human beings, you're yeah. probably going to be thinking about that Achilles. And, and, and for me, if I could say one thing, it would be, look, establish your guy on the ground, establish Teague, 
and the rest will kind of follow. Don't try to make it a two-headed rushing attack. At least it didn't look like... It looked like they were trying to do that yesterday, and I don't feel that you need to do that. But then you can kind of say to a counterpoint, well, Eric, they can air the ball out whenever they'd like, so mm-hmm. give them some time to have that experimentation. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll concede to that point. Going off the mental aspect too for running backs, I feel like it's similar to like a basketball player. Sometimes you just got to see the ball go through the hoop to really get in your rhythm. And when you're subbing out every other series, it, yeah, it might hurt some of that getting into their rhythm. Maybe they, they figure something out and they can make a cut and then they know that the next series they'll be able to maybe do something similar against the guy and they just feel more comfortable. But I think maybe they need to go to probably a more like situational thing like Sermon's probably the better pass catcher probably better out of the backfield than Teague is but as you mentioned Teague is for sure the the bigger guy who's going to run through those short yards I mean that's why he ends up with two touchdowns on the day for Teague so I think we don't need to just trade off like they're both starters in every other series why not just put them in when they're the best player to be in in the situation and again more you know having more games under the everyone at least next week, maybe they'll be better at this. I guess let me put my words well, yeah, together. And give the coaches some credit, too. I mean, they're still figuring yeah. it out, too. These are two guys that have not been starting for Ohio State really ever. So, I mean, you know, we saw it last year. but We get to that point, or, or they get to that point where it's like, oh, they're, they're trying to make them both happy. Yeah. Can, can we just not do that? Can we just make sure that that's not a thing anymore? <laughs> if, if, if it calls for Teague put Teague. If it calls for Sermon, put Sermon. But you need to establish some consistency back there because then it makes your offense click a little better. Then it gives you chances. And Again, there's nothing I can say at all remotely negative about Justin Fields' performance. 20 of 21, 276 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, the guy... And leading rusher on the team. (laughs) So, Fields was perfect. Uh, So, any time I guess we can come at at the coaches for anything offensively, it's like, well, Justin Fields. And then I'll shut up. Because, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a good safety blanket to have, I guess, when you're trying to establish a, a running game because yeah. Fields is the I-can-do-it-all type of player. And last thing to go over with Fields, so he obviously is favoring Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave in this game, but why not? They're catching it for 18, 17 yards a catch as they uh, streak down the field. Seven catches for Garrett Wilson, 129 yards, one of those touchdowns. Six catches for Olave and a buck oh four. Jackson Smith and Jigba, the freshman, two catches, but one was that. Uh, it's not, the, it wasn't really the circus catch. It was the circus tiptoe, how he got that toe in. Because watching it live, I pretty much think everybody was like, ah, oh, he was out. That was in the back of the end zone. That's too bad. And then you watch the replay, and it. Good thing he had white shoes on because it was clear as day that it was white cleat, red end zone, scarlet end zone, and white back line. And that was just such a wild play, and Justin Fields did a good job of spreading the ball around all day. But Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, that's probably the offensive highlight for me. Awareness well beyond uh, what a freshman should have. To to know where you are at all times on the football field. And thankfully... Uh, well, I guess thankfully for Indiana, they had refs that can't see pylons and where feet are, balls are in the end zone. But yeah, for me, it looked, his foot, uh, it looked, I was like, oh, well, that was, that was a good catch, you know, but sucks that his foot was out. And then I reviewed him like, oh my God, did he make that catch? Yeah. But and there it is. That, it just came up on my TV right now. I'm watching BTN. There it oh, is. Oh, that'll be ESPN for right the next there. couple of days. Yep. <laughs> All right, that's what we thought happened. Let's hear what Coach Day and others thought about their win over Nebraska. The Big Buckeye Brunch recap up next. You're listening to the Football Brunch on the Fan. 
Head to 971thefan.com to listen on demand and subscribe to all our podcasts. Wasting time has never been easier. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Back here on the football brunch, Chops and Eric Reese are hanging out with you this Sunday morning after the Buckeyes took down the Cornhuskers 52-17 to in the horseshoe yesterday. Before we get to some of this sound, Eric, I wanted to ask you, what was your setup? Game day, first one, we're back in action. It's already kind of cold. We're in October, much different than usually the what like Labor Day start. What was your setup for watching the first Buckeye game this year? Outside, it was cold, but it was the perfect weather for a fire pit. And so okay. that's what we did. We had an out, a TV outdoors. Don't tell Reggie best. Bush that. He had a huge park on at halftime. Yeah, R- Reggie, man, his fashion choices are, have been interesting <laughs> this season. But yeah, we were outside. Uh, we were watching it uh, with a fire pit, and it was it was perfect football weather mm-hmm. um, because the leaves are at the color where they haven't started to fall too much yet because when they do, then you've got to rake them, and that's no fun. But No. Well, you got the fire already going. You can just throw them right in the fire. Oh, come taken on. care of. That's, That's just not gonna, smoke everywhere. It's not going to be no. It's not going to be too smoky. You'll be okay. How about you? <laughs> uh, n- we were not outside, but uh, I had just a few buddies over. We were watching the game. I had the two TVs set up, so I believe the game we had on most of the, there weren't that many to choose of at noon. So the game we had on the second one was that UNC NC State game, but we really didn't pay attention to it all. One because UNC took off, and two because we were so laser focused on the Buckeye game. But a good start to the season. Couldn't really ask for more from Ohio State, and they got what they wanted. They they went out there. They needed to just get a win under their belt, get all this crazy stuff from the offseason behind them, and move forward. And that's what Ryan Day really said was the main goal today. The number one goal is to go 1-0, and I think that's that's the, the tricky thing here at Ohio State is you, know, you can't win championships, and it doesn't matter how you win. It's just a matter if you win. And, uh, you know, we can't, the best thing we can do is apologize for how we win. And uh, like you said, I mean, to go to beat a, a big 10, you know, team like Nebraska 52 to 17. I mean, that's, it's a pretty impressive day just to beat them by one. And so sure the expectations are high, but the reality of it is just to go one and oh is, is a great day. And that was the number one goal. And, you know, we're, we're very proud of what we did today. It goes back to the old Urban Meyer saying, you know, what's the best thing about being one and oh? The chance to go 2-0, and the Buckeyes will have that chance next weekend at Penn State. And I think Ryan Day's right. Like we were saying earlier, you know, all you can really ask for in this situation is for the guys to come out, play football again, get used to it, and just get the win. They ended up getting a big win, but I I would have taken the one-point win. I would have been nervous and <laughs> pulling my hair out, but whatever. One-point win would have been fine, or the 30-whatever-point win it was. What's so difficult about the ask for this team this year is they don't have any non-conference games to warm up to. You, you don't have MAC opponents that you mm-hmm. can kind of walk all over to get you ready for conference play. It's, it's you're right into it. I mean, uh, this Nebraska team's good. Like they're going to get some good wins this season. And Scott Frost, I think, has that program going in the right direction. So Nebraska came out swinging, and Ohio State took, I believe, Nebraska's best punch. Was able to. Uh, you know, settle things down, and they were able to counter punch, and then really bring the hammer later in the game. But yeah, to his point, I, I mean, again, it would have been honestly because I'm a, a fan of chaos to see just the reaction <laughs> and overreaction to what, what could have been a one point win, but it wasn't. It was 35 points if my math's not horrible. Okay, great, but. Now you got Penn State next week, and so this was a good, I think, um, warm-up to that game. Because regardless of what happened to Penn State yesterday, and we'll get into that, 
they're yeah. still a really good team that they're go- that this Ohio State defense is going to need to play better to beat. If you're at Happy Valley and you've got Sean Clifford, who ran all around Indiana yesterday, I know Penn State didn't get the win, but again, Nittany Lions are still good. They're still at home. Yes, there's no whiteout, but this was, in my opinion, the perfect warm-up for it in a season where you don't really get too many perfect things. Anything perfect, really. <laughs> After checking the math, we both can confidently say it was a 35-point victory. One thing we weren't too confident about, it was the run game. We mentioned it in the first segment there that it was a little iffy. What's going on? Who's going to be the leader? What's going to happen with that situation? Are they not getting the right rhythm going? What have you. Ryan Day had some comments on the slow run game. Yeah, I remember that too against FAU. It was a little clunky, right? I, I remember that. It was just kind of it, it, nothing fit right. And uh, you know, I think that happens sometimes when – you're used to going against a certain front for months at a time and seeing the same looks and the same fronts. And, you know, Nebraska brings a bunch of different stuff. And, and it was uh, a little bit of a different fit. I thought we did fit some runs good there. That one drive and the goal line, we ran the ball pretty good in there. A couple of them didn't hit, like you're saying, the way that we want them to. But, but we did kind of, you know, throw the ball a little bit more in this game but we'll, we'll take a look at the film and see I mean I thought the offensive line still played really well I thought they knocked people off the ball um, and there were still some good runs in there but but we'll improve we'll get better from this and and, um, and I think part of that is what you're saying you know just a different look different fit in the run game and, and there's a lot of that uh, going into this thing so something we heard a lot leading up to this game from coaches around the conference really was that guys were really excited to finally be able to hit somebody in a different jersey. But the thing about somebody in a different jersey is you're not used to it because you haven't seen it. Ryan Day mentions that. So I, I think we hit the nail on the head earlier that like the run game is something that I think will be figured out. We know the offensive line is going to be a strength, but it's not something to worry about right now. If we're through three games and it still looks like this, then maybe it's something to talk about. But I think the running game will find its footing. I think the focus needs to be on the fronts. I I think both Ohio State's fronts, defensively and offensively, were were pushed around yesterday. It Mm -hmm. took a a long time, or not a long time, but it took some time for Ohio State. Actually, you know, Chops, you could counterpoint this if they ever established really at the line of scrimmage. If Ohio State on either side of the ball was really able to assert themselves on the line of scrimmage consistently in yesterday's game. They kind of need to do that next week, but I think that's really where your run game has to start. If you can't establish, and look, Nebraska had a really good front yesterday. They, the, the Ben Stilly, who I kept calling Ben Stiller because I thought it was funny, <laughs> and then I accidentally kept calling him that. He was a good anchor, and, and that, again, Nebraska front played really, really well yesterday. And if that's the case and your offensive line's not able to get movement, then, yeah, your run game's going to go nowhere. And, yeah, you're going to have to air the ball out more times. Now, going back to what we said in the last segment, well, Justin Fields is back there and can go 20 for 21, or he can bust out and, and go on long touchdown runs. It, it's a really nice security blanket to have when you can't establish yeah. yourselves up front. Well, Fields will bail you out. Well, and yeah, maybe the fronts need to get better, but a guy who didn't need to get better was Justin Fields, although he says he thinks he did. Uh-huh. I mean, I hope so. I mean, I hope so. But yeah, uh, I think I'm better, uh, you know, from, from last year to this year. You know, that's, that's what the offseason's for. That's what, uh, what, what we're practicing is for. But I think I'm better in all aspects, you know, throwing the ball, running the ball, you know, and just knowing the offense and, and kind of knowing what the defense is doing. So, you know, but I still have room to improve. And, you know, that's what I'm going to do uh, from week to week. So we know Justin Fields is good. We don't need to go over that too much more, but it, it, it is exciting to hear that he thinks he has gotten better. One last cut I want to get. I want to hear of the returning defensive coordinator, the man with the coffee, the man with the energy, the man with the hashtags. What did Kerry Combs think of the defense's performance yesterday? 
Well, I think there are things that are concerning. I don't. I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I, I do, and I do think it was a slow start. I think they're a good team. I think they're a good offense, and I think that any time you're spending a, a summer trying to get ready for somebody, and you don't know exactly what they're going to do, new coordinator, different things, you're, you're, it's challenging. And so I thought that uh, Greg uh, Madison and, and Larry Johnson did a great job making some adjustments and, and having great communication about how we were doing some things differently in the run game. Uh, and Al and Matt did a great job uh, from both on the bo- in the box and on the field of the same thing. And, and, and it, w- it was very difficult. A lot of things that probably we hadn't seen quite the same way that we had practiced against them and those kind of things. And then I think the kids, I'm so impressed with these kids. They don't panic. Uh, they take the adjustments. They understand. They learn. And they go out and put them in place. And so I thought they did a really, really good job uh, after the first couple of series. We're up against it here, but I just want to quickly add to what Kerry Combs had to say. I think the most important thing he said there is he thinks Nebraska is a good team, that they're a good offense. And maybe that's something that we're not taking into account. This might not be the 5-7 and seven Nebraska from last year. This could be a team that... Okay, what's the season? Nine games this year. Maybe they go seven and two or something like that. I wouldn't put it past them. So that's an interesting thing to keep in mind is maybe Ohio State beat a, a much better Nebraska team by 35 points today, which would really put the game in perspective. And we'll know that as the season goes on. Hashtag gotta work on your fundamentals all week. Yeah. Th- this uh, Nebraska's good. Like this was a good win for Ohio State, in my opinion. But again, it all starts up front. And Nebraska did a really good job of establishing the line of scrimmage earlier on. And then, as Coach Combs said in that last cut, that they were able to settle things down on their end. And that was when you saw the game really take a turn. To my point, there wasn't no time that I thought, oh, man, Ohio State could lose this game. No, this was in hand before (laughs) both teams walked out onto the field. But the fact that they were able to regroup, and again, that goes back to the leadership you have at that linebacking position, to just settle everybody down, get your ponies back in formation, it shows with a, you know, 52 to 35 points was the margin <laughs> of victory for Ohio State. So if you have any questions, I would keep them to yourselves. We'll know more about the context of the game, too, as the season goes on. As as always, hindsight is twenty twenty. Our after-the-fact post-game of the week picks coming up. The football brunch on the fan. Feel unappreciated? Things not working out the way you imagined? Bad news. Sometimes life sucks. Good news. We don't. The fan. Ohio's sports destination. Back here on the football brunch. Chops with Eric Reeser going over the Buckeye game, but... For now, we're going to go with a little segment we're going to call Post Game of the Week. It's where, after the fact, we decide what was actually the game of the week. We thought it was probably going to be Michigan-Minnesota. That was not the case. But, Eric, before we make our picks, I'm going to let you talk about something that came first this week and really kicked off the Big Ten season. It actually did, officially. What did you see Friday night in that Wisconsin-Illinois game? Oh, Graham Mertz! <laughs> he was wonderful! Do you see that? Five touchdowns. I think was the most ever given up uh, by a quarterback in his debut to a Lovey Smith defense. And he also set Wisconsin passing records for a quarterback in his debut. Redshirt freshman quarterback Graham Mertz crushed the Illini single-handedly. And remember uh, K.J. Costello? The first week you saw him... And he, yeah. threw, he went bonkers for Mississippi State. Has or what was it heard? like, uh, Kenny Trill yeah, <laughs> at Texas has, has, A&M has any, years ago? Has anybody heard from them yet? I just <laughs> would like everybody to chill on the Graham Mertz love. It was a very impressive performance. Wisconsin got the first win of the Big Ten season, 45-7 to over Illinois. Badgers are a good team. 
Probably the team Ohio State will see in Indianapolis, what, December, the week after Michigan? I 19th, forget. I believe. That's the date. But just <laughs> relax on the Heisman, because I'm sure his numbers have jumped in Heisman odds. I'm, I'm sure he's the darling of the Big Ten Conference. It was funny. As I, I just kind of scrolling uh, the Twitter.com or on Saturday... Before uh-huh. the game, I saw a sit-down Urban Meyer did with Jerry DiNardo in the Big Ten Network, and they were just gushing over Graham Mertz. He's a really good quarterback, but it's it's week one. So unless he's, you know, Justin Fields can be gushed over because he's got that resume, or he's got the, the wins under his belt, and he's got the performances from last season. But look, Wisconsin's good, but let's ease up on how we feel about Graham Mertz. And I, I could just be overreacting to people's overreactions. I don't know! <laughs> but there, But let's just, you know... Yeah. Easy. I don't know what Jack Cohn's prognosis is or his timeline from coming back from injury, but Never. I think I think yeah, I think he's not going to play for Wisconsin ever again unless something happens to Graham Mertz. I as long as he plays at half the level he played on Friday night, I think he's pretty much safe to do it. And uh James Laurinaitis, he was calling that game on Big Ten Network. He was up in Madison, so we were talking to him Friday on the show, and he was saying, you know, he tries to listen to some of the local sports around there when he goes to all the different uh cities to call games, and he was saying that people were hyped for Graham Mertz. So while a bummer that Jack Cohn went down. I don't think, I think people were seeing it as like maybe a blessing in disguise. And then after the fact, we can see this game that Graham Mertz is basically as good as Justin Fields. They both only had one incompletion. So I think we can put Mertz and Fields on the exact same level. They're the same I'm, player, exact yeah. same player, just as good. I don't know what we were doing. Cause I think Urban had said uh, in that sit down he did that he tried to recruit Mertz to Ohio State. And it's like, well, okay. what are we doing with Justin Fields? Let's get him out, get Mertz in, and it's fine. And then, then can, can you make a Clemson. Trade? I'll tell you what, if it was Mertz instead of Fields, it, that Olave thing doesn't happen at the end of the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> just, just saying. Mertz, just yeah. Saying, I'm true throwing it out there. <laughs> All yes. right. Moving on to our actual post game of the week. My pick, and I think everybody's pick after the fact, would be the Penn State upset at Indiana. We go into overtime, but before we do that, really, I didn't watch a ton of this game, but I did flip over when I knew it was close late and I saw Penn State was down. Then they were up. They were up one. With like a minute 40 some left, then they score and make it 28 20 with a minute 42 left. Here's the issue. Should they have taught their running back to maybe take a knee after he got that first down inside the five and not score, leaving a minute 42 left, which allowed Indiana to go on a 75 yard drive, get the two point conversion and send it to overtime? So let's start with that decision to score right there with 142 left. What do you think about that? So this is what happens, I think, when James Franklin doesn't respect his opponent enough. Because we've seen enough of Michael Penix Jr., at least in Columbus, to know that he's a very good quarterback. And as soon as they score, it's one of those things, not on the level of you know an Aaron Rodgers, but you're like, they might have left them too much time. Yeah. It was what went through my head with that. I'm like, mm, they got some time to drive down the field. Again, just what I had seen from Indiana throughout the game was they can they can move. That That's an offense that, again, if you give them enough time, and Penn State just looked out of place a lot of times during that game. It was really only in the fourth quarter where Penn State should have more talent than Indiana. That's a, well, duh. <laughs> but the only time they looked like the better team was in the fourth quarter, except for that was a boneheaded decision. And I don't know. I, you know, I didn't listen to James's post game comments, but is that something he tells his running back ever at all about, you know, game clock awareness? Or does he mm-hmm. say, no, go, you know, punch it in. Let's not play. Let's play to have more points than the other. I don't know. But I, I yeah, you, you don't. 
you got you have to know that mm-hmm. well you know I, it, it's so easy for us to say yeah it, it's tough and it, it in did that look- situation because these are these are young kids they're gonna score the touchdown I, I don't know if there's anybody that would have well maybe graham mertz would have the the situational and clock awareness but i, I don't know well, and it's tough, you know. I think Ford, the Penn State running back, even as he was going in, he kind of—I mean—he was completely freed up, and he almost kind of spun around and like walked backwards into the end zone. I think there was something in his head thinking about it, but it's so hard to, yeah, when you're in the moment, you see the open end zone. That's 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 generally the whole point of football. But there's so many situational things, and this just happened to be one of those ones. Indiana ties it up. We go to overtime. Penn State scores. Indiana scores, and so now it's 35-34 in overtime. And this one's a little controversial, but I'm I'm okay with the call. So um, Michael Penix, he runs for the pylon on the left side, and he extends, and does the ball hit the out-of-bounds before it hits the pylon? Is it the pylon first? I think live it looks like a score, and I don't think there was enough on the replay to overturn that. So I'm okay with the call because when I watch the play live full speed, you know, I'm not the ref that's right there, but even that, I watching it full speed, I thought it looked like it was in. I was sitting there going, "What are they cheering about?" He didn't get in. I looked. It looked to me at you know live when we're there or live when we're watching it in real time. I'm like, "He's a mile from that pylon." Is what it looked like at first glance to me. But you're right. If they make the call on the field, this is when replay gets it right. If they make the call on the field and there's not enough to overturn it, then you have to go to that rule. And mm-hmm. so often we don't see the case. It feels like it, that they go, "Well, they're going to switch it because they've spent 20 minutes trying, or at least what I'm sure feels like 20 minutes trying to review the." Thing. Thing, but this is what this is set up for. This is what you wanted when you wanted, you know, instant review. And when they put the headsets on, the little guy trots out there with a little monitor. Yeah. So they got it right, I thought. Yeah, and the, I love that that they do that parade of the ref going over there and looking at what I mean. What is How it? Do I get phone? that job. Like you, you get the little. Like why isn't it just somebody? You know, the eye in the sky ref. Why can't we just have that? I think that makes the most sense. Why is it this ref going over to look at this tiny little screen with the little? With the little canopy over it and everything, it's it's a stupid way to do replay, and it probably adds time to it. And replay already takes too long as it is. So why isn't it when it's called that immediately? It's called because the guy up upstairs is already looking at it and he makes the decision. Take it off the you know. I think there is. I mean, there are replay officials up there, but obviously the on field ref looks at it too, and he is part of that decision making. I think take it completely away because sometimes, as we saw with in the NFL with the uh, pass interference thing last year. Refs don't want to overturn sometimes what they call them in the field unless it's so glaringly obvious. And so that's why I think taking it out of their hands would be a better thing. That's an offshoot of review and everything. But like we said, our post game of the week, it's Penn State, Indiana. I don't really think there's any other option. Well, it was unfortunate that there were a ton of games that were blowouts. You know, Alabama mm-hmm. crushed Tennessee. Clemson beat Syracuse, even though, you know, the Dabo, I guess, wasn't happy. <laughs> With questions asked to him, look, Syracuse put 21 points on them, and is that – see, we get so overreacty with, with stuff like this, and mm-hmm. so those questions are going to come at Dabo, and well, anyway, they all blowouts, none of them really great games, but I guess we're going to have to, because this is, let's pick a game that we thought was good. I thought uh, Cincinnati looked really good, and maybe mm-hmm. it's because SMU's bad. Um, but for the Bearcats, 42-13 to 13 win in Dallas. Um, it's their highest margin of victory over a ranked team in program history. Desmond wow. Ritter was phenomenal. He was eight carries for 179 yards and three touchdowns. He's an, an okay quarterback throwing the ball, but, you know, his multi, his, 
He's got a lot of tools in that toolbox. His legs are uh, two really good ones, and Cincinnati, if they keep rolling like this, and fortunately they were able to kind of get over a COVID scare, mm-hmm. they could uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very careful in saying this, and hopefully it's just you and me talking right now, so nobody else is, is hearing this. But <laughs> yeah, Nobody else they, is listening. If they stay unbeaten, there might be a case to make for them in the playoff because I think Notre Dame's the team right now, in my opinion, but if they get waxed by Clemson, yep. then I think you can maybe sneak Cincinnati in. And, and that could just be my Ohio bias. However, I, I look really good against... Yeah, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to have enough to get in there. I think the the Big 12 is beating themselves out, although Oklahoma State keeps winning. They beat Iowa State yesterday. I'm not impressed by Oklahoma State. I haven't... In all honesty, I haven't watched a ton of them, but I did watch my eyes bleeding that whole Tulsa-Oklahoma State <laughs> game and couldn't stand it. I said, there's no way this team, I think they were the 11th ranked team or something at that point. I was like, there's no way this team is the 11th best team in the country, but they keep winning, and so now they're deep into the top 10. I don't know, they're 7th or something right now. Cincinnati will move up because Penn State lost, so they'll keep moving up into the top 10. It'll be really interesting to see where the Bearcats fall when the college football playoffs start putting out their rankings. Speaking of rankings, how does the Buckeyes Heisman level quarterback compare to the others around the country eyeing the hardware? Heisman pose up next, the football brunch on the fan. All the dumb things we say are on demand when you want them. Just utilize the computer chip we've implanted into your brain. The fan, Ohio sports destination. All right, how's your brunch going on this Buckeye Victory Sunday, 52-17 to over Nebraska yesterday? Justin Fields looked great. Chops and Eric Reese are here with you on the fan. As I mentioned, Fields looking good. He's definitely a guy who has an eye on some Heisman hardware, and he was at the ceremony last year. He'll be at it, I don't know, virtually. I, I don't know what their plan is, something like that for this year. But we're going to throw to our producer, Bodie. Bodie hanging out with us, too, today. Bodie, what are the Heisman odds? I know this isn't quite updated for from yesterday, but I think they're still pretty accurate. It seems to be a three-person race. All right, guys, so I'm going to give you the top five Heisman odds. Yes, as you said, Chops, this would have been entering yesterday. We haven't seen an updated list just yet. Trevor Lawrence is number one at minus 155. He went 27 to 43 yesterday, 289 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Alabama quarterback Mac Jones was number two at plus 350. He went 25 to 31 for 387 yards. Interesting enough, he had no touchdowns no, or nor interceptions. He did have one TD on the ground and a QB sneak. Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback, is plus 750. He comes in at number three. We all know his stats from yesterday, 20-21, 276 yards, two touchdowns, and he led the Buckeyes in rushing with 54 yards and a touchdown. And then number four and five, Jalen Waddell, the tough news yesterday. He had no stats as he broke his ankle. He was at plus 900, and then coming in at number five was Florida quarterback Kyle Trask. He had no stats yesterday because the Gators were on a bye. He was at plus 1,600. I want to start with Waddle here because I was having a conversation near the end of the Ohio State game talking about, oh, what game are we going to put on? Probably the Alabama-Tennessee game. See how that goes. And we were talking about Waddle and Mac Jones. Mac Jones is looking like he could win the Heisman this year. He's putting up great numbers. No touchdowns yesterday through the air, but uh, Nick Saban probably just saw he could run right over Tennessee. They won 48-17. But the the real conversation, and now it's kind of moot because Waddle is out for the year, but if things had continued this way, at what point can you consider Waddle being so good, getting so open, allowing for Mac Jones to get some of these stats that he's really piling on? At what point do you move Waddle ahead of him as the better player? Because I think if we're being honest, Jalen Waddle is the more talented football player than Mac Jones, right? Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think there's, I don't, I don't think you'll find too many people questioning uh, Jalen Waddle as a football player <laughs> over Mac Jones. Jalen Waddle's the best receiver in the country, and, and yeah, it sucks what happened to him. Now, fortunately for Mac Jones, he's got a ton of talent around him. Uh, Michi Najee Harris is one of the best running backs that I've I've seen play. Um, so I, I still think you, you keep Mac Jones there just because he's got a bunch of chances to prove that he's a Heisman-worthy quarterback. But it, with, with any of these guys that we see have a ton of talent around them, it's like, well, how can he mess this up? And that's if he turns the ball over, which he hasn't. You know, Mac Jones has been a pretty consistent quarterback all season. Trevor Lawrence, the same thing could be said. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, if, if there's re- room to be, you know, critical of Trevor yesterday, sure, fine. I mean, it, it's a game against Syracuse. I, I'm not putting too much on it. Uh, and then Fields right there. Um, sorry, I think I just jumped ahead of, of what we were doing with that <laughs> no, one. No, you're good. You're good because Trevor Lawrence is the next guy to talk about. And it's kind of like. Fields, you know, it's a little hard to throw him in there right now because he's only got the one game against the one opponent, but he looked, if he can play like that, he's going to launch himself probably to the top of the Heisman list. Trevor Lawrence, I think, he always seems to have like an uphill battle with Heisman voters because he's been so hyped for so long. He won the title game his freshman year, and then people seem to, because he... I think it's because he doesn't get very many marquee games in the ACC, so people te- seem to point to his flaws more than the good things he's doing. He's only got two picks on the year. I remember last year at the beginning of the season, the interception stuff was a little bit of a problem for Trevor Lawrence. He's not really doing that this year. He's, you know, the the first game against the Citadel, he barely played. He only had 168 yards. But then you look at it, 329, three touchdowns, 292, no touchdowns in that one against Miami, but a 42 to 17 win for his team against probably the best opponent they'll play, maybe other than Notre Dame in the regular season. Huge win against Georgia Tech. He had 404 yards and five touchdowns in that one. Then two scores and 289. I mean, when you're looking at it with the hype, with the, how good the team is, I think Trevor Lawrence is certainly somebody who is actually going to make it to the Heisman ceremony this year. I think we're we're past that that I think he's going to move past that 17 TDs and only two interceptions on the year. I think I I really do think it's down to a three-man race like I said. Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin Fields and the order's going to shake out as we get through this Big 10 season. I I agree. I I think it is those three and it is for the most part a quarterback award. I know they, they say it's for the best overall college football player, and we've seen instances over the past couple of years where there have been defenders, where there have been wide receivers that are far and away the best player mm-hmm. in the country, but the quarterbacks get the stats. The quarterbacks get most of our our time when we talk about them. They get most of the analysis, and, uh, and, and yeah, you know, Trevor has played consistently well all season you're going to look at, at a stat line against a team like Syracuse and be like well why isn't he, you know why isn't he have why does he have any incompletions you know why did Sir, uh, Clemson put in DJ Ugalele who's like the best quarterback name ever <laughs> look you know it, it's still it's not early enough to say Fields is right there with those two. You know what he did yesterday he dropped you know was one incompletion uh, and, mm-hmm. and I think he if I'm looking at the three teams Nebraska Syracuse and Tennessee, the respective opponents for those quarterbacks, I think Nebraska's the best of the three. Again, you can mm-hmm. say, well, the Nebraska's only played one game, and Syracuse is one and five, and Tennessee, I think, is two and three, but yep. I, I would still put Nebraska above those three. So if we're talking about you know quality of opponent, right now, I, I think, you know, and, and this is just this week, because yeah. obviously I can't say, you know, I, I can't compare a full slate of opponents, but... 
Yeah, it's it's right now. If I'm going to rank them, it'll be uh, Lawrence Fields Jones. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's fair right now. Mac Jones definitely will have more big games though to put that on right. display. That's the like I said, that's the problem with Fields is he doesn't get those marquee games until we get to the college football playoff, and he usually plays lights out in playoff games. So it, it, I I think they really should push back the Heisman ceremony in all actuality, but they're probably not going to do that. It, well, it sits right there in the middle of December and where's well, this Graham Mertz? Year, where's Graham Mertz? What, yeah, what question. Is, is well, he in the odds, Bodie? He is not in the odds at what? all. What? Nobody. There's probably, how many names I are there? I dispute Probably about 25 now. names here. 25 right. to 30. He's Vegas doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Listen to us. Take a second mortgage out on your house. Take all of that money. Put it on Graham Mertz for the Heisman because yeah. he's the best player in the country. We all know it. There's no hyperbole there. He is going to win the Heisman by everybody else. It's Graham Mertz's award. But uh, in all seriousness, yeah, like we said, it's it's Lawrence Fields, Mac Jones, three three team race for the or three person race for the Heisman. Really, a three team race right now for the national title. I think it's between those three teams. If you're picking who's going to win the national title, I don't think there's really a reason to pick anybody outside of those three. And I think their quarterbacks are going to be the three at the Heisman ceremony. All right, more of the Buckeyes' big win over the Cornhuskers next on the Football Brunch on the Fan. Love crew soccer? Us too. Let's get married and catch every game together. Proud to be your local home for the black and gold. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back. Pistol formation, now a shift. It's Teague, goes left of his quarterback, Fields. Fields will hand it to Teague, going straight ahead, and he busts into the end zone for Ohio State's first touchdown of 2020. Master Teague. Second and four for Ohio State. Fields is going to hoist it in the air again. He looks and cranks, sends it deep down the field for Wilson. Got it! Touchdown, Wilson. 42 yards from Justin Fields as Ohio State gets their second score of the day through the air. 13-7 Buckeyes. Fields in the gun. Teague to his left. Snap to Fields. Fields to Teague. Straight ahead into the end zone. He skates Master Teague for the Ohio State touchdown. And the Buckeyes add to their lead. It's 23-14 over Nebraska. Snap to Fields. Fields keeps it. Looks to throw. Now takes off running. 15 of Nebraska going wide to the left of the 10. Fields to the 5. Fields spins and gets to the end zone as he's turned away from defenders closing on him and Justin Fields. A 17-yard touchdown run. His first rushing TD of the year at its 30-14 Ohio State. Martinez in a pistol formation with Mills behind him. Jurgen set to snap the ball. Martinez Fakes the handoff, runs to the right, now steps up to the middle, eludes Jonathan Cooper, and then fumbles the ball away as Pete Werner hit him, and the Buckeyes have it picked up and running it is seven Banks. He'll stumble his way to the 20, to the 10 of Nebraska. Banks will weave his way into the end zone for an offensive touchdown for Ohio State that was forced as Pete Werner helped poke the ball away from Adrian Martinez. Miller out of the shotgun. Keeps it himself. Runs straight ahead and gets into the end zone. Jack Miller for an Ohio State touchdown. Freshman quarterback Miller punches it into the end zone. And the Buckeyes have up their lead to 51-17. Paul Keels on the call as he is always for a Buckeye football Saturday. Audio courtesy of the OSU IMG Network. 
Chops here with Eric Reeser on the Football Brunch. First time we're doing this show here on a Sunday morning. You can catch us every Sunday throughout the football season, 9 to 11. We'll be going over Buckeye games. We'll get you one of those every week. Hopefully they're all highlights. I, I don't, I guess I don't know what to do if it is a, if it is a loss, but we won't worry about that. We've got this one today. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Just tons of touchdowns for Ohio State as they beat Nebraska 52 to 17 yesterday. Unfortunately, maybe the most exciting touchdown, Jackson Smith and Jigbug just getting that, that foot in the back of the end zone doesn't really get to be a highlight, especially on a radio call because to the naked eye and uh, the first call on the field was that he was out of bounds. So it wouldn't have been a very good one to hear live. But we got all those other ones in there, and thank you to Eric for putting that together. Uh, if they do lose, there's still going to be one of these things. Like we have to, in sickness and in uh, what's it, in sickness and in health, chops. Oh, we'll have it. But look, <laughs> for me, just watching yesterday's game to have, and that's to have Big Ten, to just to have football back uh, mm-hmm. in my life is a very important thing, and so that's why Mace is welcome back, because regardless of, of, of how your your favorite teams or how your favorite players performed yesterday, and this is just a, a blanket football fan statement, it was just good to have that sense of normalcy back into our lives, and Ohio State football, at least because I'm from here, that, mm-hmm. that brings normalcy back, and I, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say, welcome back, uh, Big Ten football. Yeah, Big Ten football hits differently for me. I noticed that Friday night as I was watching the Wisconsin-Illinois game, which had the best player to ever play football playing quarterback. But also, yeah. it wasn't really a it wasn't a super exciting game on its own. But there was something, there's just a little more juice for me with Big Ten football. I grew up, both my parents went to the University of Iowa. I grew up an Iowa fan, then I went to Ohio State. Well, I became a Buckeye fan as well. And I've always just taken in the Big Ten. For me, it's more exciting to watch Wisconsin-Illinois than it would have been, and I did watch some of this game, the Alabama-Tennessee game, both blowouts. Alabama is the better team, probably more exciting, but I don't know. There's something about Big Ten football that just gets me a little bit extra juiced. So here's what we're going to do at the top of the second hour for this show. We're going to do a little bit more of a category type thing, kind of more question-based, go over the Buckeye game. As we mentioned, 52-17, a 35-point win as we greatly figured out in our math heads. First up, biggest surprise I would say that the biggest surprise for me was how the defense came out and didn't look super sharp. I know we talked about it. They're probably going to figure it out, but I was expecting the defense to just look a little sharper coming out. The linebackers, Baron Browning, uh, Pete Werner, they looked like they were a little out of position at times in that first quarter, and I want to see a little bit more out of them because we were told all week by the coaching staff that this is going to be the backbone of the defense. Well, I want to see it from the linebackers. You guys are the leaders on there. Sean Wade takes care of business. He's got that handle on the outside and on the deep ball, but you guys really need to sure things up at the linebacker position because we don't have a Chase Young chasing down the quarterback all the time this year and I guess we, he was out for a few games last year but we don't have that same pass rush it doesn't look like the first the first sack coming in the second quarter by Haskell Garrett which great story for Haskell Garrett he comes back uh, just you know eight weeks or something since being shot in the face and he's able to play he gets the first sack of the season but it is a little troubling to me to see the first sack of the season come late in the second quarter from a defensive tackle that's not something we've been We've been used to seeing, and we've been blessed with the pass rush we've had, that we've had the, the two Bosa's into Chase Young. But I think we need to see a little bit more from the pass rush, and I want to make sure the linebackers get in the right position and figure it out. I think they will. They're, they're a talented group, and if what the coach is saying is true, they're one of the best units on the team. 
Ohio State fans have just been so spoiled. <laughs> just uh, with the defensive front that it's constantly churning out, not just first rounders, but number one overall picks or number two overall picks or guys who can make the argument for why they should be in the Heisman Trophy conversations. And uh, it goes back to just establishing uh, the line of scrimmage. And Nebraska, for a lot of the, the game early on, did the best job of that. And, and it took a while for the Buckeyes on both sides to figure things out and to really uh, uh, to enter. I mean, it, it's almost like, oh, someone's entered the game. Well, Ohio State's defensive front has entered the chat and it, it took longer I think than Buckeye fans were expecting or hoping and that, that's just to me getting those jitters out or, or just mm-hmm. it, it again it hits so different when you've spent two and a half weeks hitting uh, you haven't had pads on for months before that Clemson being the last game in early January you have to kind of get that muscle memory back on how to run up against a guy or how to do a swim move or how to do a spin move or just basic techniques that sure you can work on against pads or sure you can work on against uh, you know your your teammate during practice but again it's different when it's a guy across from you and especially when you haven't had time to watch film or, or to watch offensive line techniques from guys that you don't see every day i mean this nebraska front set the nebraska front on both sides is really good and it, it showed for that and yeah for for haskell garrett uh, awesome that he was able um, to to make his presence known and then to get back to doing what he loves. I mean, for mm-hmm. all of these guys, but yeah, for Haskell Garrett, it, it was great to see. And I, I don't know, I them getting you know the, the sack what in the second quarter, the first sack of the season, not not too big of a deal because Adrian Martinez is a guy you have to respect. McCaffrey's a guy you have to respect. So you know, for them to pin their ears back and go straight up field, I, I think is kind of what Nebraska was hoping for because then you can get those gadget plays to work so well. Then you can get those gimmicks you know to really take off, and you can start to put your team into a hole. But, you know, back to Kerry Combs' point of having, you know, your linebackers and your veterans in your defense, bring everybody back together and just kind of get them re, you just get them focused and get them relaxed or and not necessarily relaxed, but to have them kind of just back to basics and you get your fundamentals back and you get your feet under you and you're able to just take a deep breath. <laughs> and it showed throughout, you know, the second, third and fourth quarter. Yeah, and I think the hardest thing, too, is, you know, going over that, that was my most surprised by. And the hard thing is because I wasn't surprised by any of the good things because I know how talented this team is and I know what they're going to do out there. So going over what what did, what did I have, I called that. I I thought Justin Fields was going to be able to spread the, the ball around. I, I think he ended up hitting eight different receivers in the game, maybe nine. And so that's something that I saw was going to happen. A lot of them are only in the one catch zone because there's just so many of them and he didn't have to attempt that many passes he only had 21 possible completions anyway so when you're spreading that out over eight nine guys there's not going to be a ton of completions for everybody but Garrett Wilson Chris Olave we know what they are they came out they led the way for the receivers and I think this receiving core is going to be as good as advertised we're going to see from Julian Fleming Jackson Smith and Jigba showing that he's a, a tremendous a tremendous athlete we didn't even see G. Scott Jr., but I think he's going to be somebody who we'll see catch some balls this year, and we'll have Justin Fields delivering it the whole time. So, yeah, I called that. Ohio State receivers are good. Wow, big surprise. I must be a fortune teller. What a good problem to have. Just <laughs> And it's, you know, talking about it before the season, it's like they have so many ponies that they've got to get fed. Or I mean, and I, I hope they're not going into this thinking, well, we've got to keep these guys happy, so we've got to distribute the ball around. But their natural talent coming out and saying, you need to get me the ball, it, it, it's much better of a problem to have yeah. when you have so much talent to be able to distribute better. 
And yeah, like you said, you know, next week it's, it's probably going to be a different crop of wide receivers that we're talking about having a great game. And you're going to hear more names as the season continues, as, as Fields starts to develop better relationship with a lot of these younger guys mm-hmm. in a lot of positions that they've never been put in before. Especially during a, a year like this, you know, you talk about the, some of the, the underclassmen and the plays that they're being asked to make. Well, again, you don't have Mac, you know, Mac opponents to run over. You don't have an FAU to go out and dominate and to get everybody into the ball game. But that was one of the things that I felt um, really good about. Just at the end there, you know, when you had a, it was uh, Jack. No, it was Jack Miller. Yeah, at quarterback, and I, I know he uh, Ryan Day apologized for him taking it into the end zone after that, but. I mean, look, what's Nebraska, he supposed to do? It's, look, it's Nebraska, a run play, yeah. you got to stop him. And again, it, Day said it perfectly that he didn't think that he wasn't comfortable having him take a knee. Because, yeah, you never know what Nebraska's going to do. And things mm-hmm. got a little chippy near the end as they're going to get. I, I think you get frustrated players. And if the guy goes to take a knee instead of plunging forward, who who's to say they don't take a shot high at his head? I, I, I don't know. Well, and and that's something, that is something we haven't hit. Is uh, I don't think Nebraska was doing this. I think it was more coincidental. But... It, to the to the blind eye, it looked like there were some high hits from Nebraska that maybe were a little bit dirty. There were a few targeting reviews. Uh, one or two players got ejected for Nebraska, but I don't think it was something they were doing on purpose. I know there were some people floating that out there. I don't think that was. I don't think that was part of their game plan. I think it was just guys playing hard. It's their first action in a long time, and football moves so fast. Yeah, when you watch it on replay, it's not great. But I think most of it was they need to look at you know guys launching. But I think even sometimes on the plays where it looked like they launched, there was some actual effort to try to get their helmet out of the way. And some of those head those head hits were shoulders to the helmet and stuff like that. So not something to gloss over, but I don't think Nebraska was trying to head hunt at all on purpose. No, and I I also think it's this kind of sound. It, it, this sounds weird, but I I almost think your quarterback is safer running it into the end zone than taking a knee because <laughs> you kind of leave more things up to chance when you put him in that situation where he just dangerous takes a things steps happen back. around piles. Well, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what the right call is. Well, I I think the right call was to have him run into the end zone for that touchdown because again you've got to get those guys as many live in game reps mm-hmm. as you possibly can because you're probably not going to have that comfortable of a situation next week at Penn State and then you've got what five games after that. It's, no, it's an eight-game season. My math is always off. It's really off this morning. You've got six games after that, and uh, you don't know if you're going to have any situations where you can get your younger guys into the ball game to have them potential to give them opportunities like this mm-hmm. is something that you know there's no value you can put on it. So just. Sorry, Nebraska, but you've got to line up and stop them. Yeah. I don't care if it's your first string, your second string, your third string, or some walk-ons. Like it's a freshman quarterback. Stop. If you <laughs> if you're a competitor in any sense of the word, I would rather have him try to score the touchdown so I can prove that my defense can stop them. If, if it get, I just think it goes back to just being competitive and Ryan Day's uh-huh. a competitor, and so to him to apologize to Scott Frost, okay, that's nice, but there's no need. Yeah, it's taking a knee really that much more respectful. It's saying that we know we've got this. We don't even have to try anymore. It almost seems like taking a knee is somewhat disrespectful in a way, too. If if you think more in the mind of, like, what's going on in the player's head, I, I think players, yeah, they get they get frustrated when it's just seeing them in victory formation and they're just kneeing and you see guys try to, any last-ditch effort, jumping over piles and trying to get to the quarterback in any way they can. Real quick, before we end this, let's go players of the game. I think it's obvious that it's Justin Fields on offense. 
offense. I think we would both agree on that. On defense, it, it's hard to pick. Sean Wade played well, but he really only had like one or two plays where you were actually watching him. They just didn't throw his way because he's that locked down of a cornerback. Seven banks with the touchdown. But I'm going to go to Haskell Garrett coming back from the gunshot wound and getting a sack it just in a matter of weeks. Biggest performance on the defense for me. He got shot in the face. Yeah. It's incredible. So, yes, Haskell Garrett's obvious for me. And, yeah, I don't know how many times we're going to be able to hear Sean Wade's name called because you're right. Like, you're throwing to him. You're asking for it. So when they do <laughs> throw to him, it, there's a good chance that it's going to go the way of the Buckeyes. But, yeah, for Haskell Garrett played really well. Seven banks, of course. When you get a scoop and score touchdown, you, you know, you have to get put up there. But overall, I think great performances all around defensively. Look. Yep. Rough start, but they picked it back. They picked it up, and you 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 got what you wanted out of it. And yeah, of course, Justin Fields. <laughs> That's going to be the offensive player of the game, I think, the entire. So actually, yeah. no, I'm going to make it a point to try and figure out another offensive player of the game next week. Okay, that, I'll That's let you do we'll that. Do. I'll just pencil in Justin Fields for every yeah. week and just read his stat line. Solid pick. Coming up, sure, there are 14 teams in the Big Ten, but we will tell you which squads make up the real Big Ten. The football brunch on the fan. We have two important rules here at the radio station. Adhering to proper broadcasting standards and absolutely no deucing in the hallway bathroom. The fan. All right, back here on the football brunch on the fan. Chops here with Eric Reeser following Ohio State's 52-17 to big win over Nebraska. I don't know. If you're at home listening, I wonder how many mimosas in you already are. It's only 1023, but I mean, if you get that bottle popped early, you could already be three or four in. I think that's realistic. I got a bottle chilling in the fridge. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. So everybody get your brunch going. Get a football. Make it in the shape or get a pancake. Make it in the shape of a football. Take bacon. Make that the laces. Bam. You got everything. You got Buckeye talk. You've got football brunch here on the fan. You've got chops and Reeser bringing it all to you. In this segment, though, we're going to expand it to the whole conference, but we're going to rank a power rankings of the Big Ten, but we're going to do it a little different. We're going to call it the real Big Ten. We're only ranking 10 teams. It's called the Big Ten. Only 10 teams going to be in the ranking. The other four pushed out. Forget about them. We don't care. Maybe they can work their way back in, but if they stay there, then we're just going to have to get some relegation in and bring up some max schools because if you spend too many weeks outside of the real Big Ten, we'll push you out, and that's what we're going to keep track of on this. I think it's pretty safe to say that both of us have the same team at the top. It is Graham Mertz and the Wisconsin Badgers. Of course. Like, who <laughs> no. else would it be? I'm kidding. I've got Ohio State 1 and Wisconsin 2. Uh, where are you at on your 1 and 2? This feels like a chasm between 1 and 2. Because, yes, yes, it's Ohio State and Wisconsin. And then it's honestly, you could just put names on ping pong balls and roll well, them in a, a bingo thing. And It's very oh, tough. Rutgers, they won. It's very tough because it's very hard to like subjectively rate these teams because like Indiana has to be ahead of Penn State even though I probably think Penn State is the better team and would win nine out of ten times Indiana won the the one and Indiana is one and oh and Penn State is oh and one maybe later in the season you can get into scenarios where you're not going to push a team ahead just because they beat the team but after just one game I I go with that I have to put Indiana ahead of Penn State, which brings me Michigan ahead of Minnesota, but three and four for me, Michigan, Minnesota, then five and six, Indiana and Penn State. So I'm going to deviate because I think still Penn State's a better team than Indiana. Sure, Indiana got the overtime win. If last only night. there was some way to determine if Indiana was the better team, like on a field or something. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, uh, you're still wrong, and so <laughs> I have Michigan three, Rutgers 
because they won and bleep Penn State, who would yep. be five for me, and then Nebraska ahead of Indiana. I know, like you said, you're putting winners ahead, but I still think Nebraska's the better team just from what I saw yesterday. Wonky things are going to happen this season, and I think what you saw between Penn State and Indiana was an aberration. I, I, I think that yeah. is a uh, little like pool in the desert. That is, Am I seeing that for real? Sure, they got the win, but uh, again, I, I don't think Indiana's better than Nebraska or Penn State. And then uh, numbers, because uh, eight Minnesota, or no, nine, you know, eight Minnesota for me, nine Northwestern, and then ten Purdue. Again, I know Purdue won, but they beat Iowa, and did anybody see that? Like, did anybody watch that? Chops, did I you watch the that? Game. I watched right. the game. The one person in Columbus who watched <laughs> that game. Well, and because of that, Iowa got my number 10 spot. It, it got a little tricky for me, but I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't put them outside of the real Big Ten. Oh, relegate them to the one. Mac. No, I couldn't do that. Not quite yet. Maybe if they get another loss, I'll have to. But yeah, so going through that, I've got seven Northwestern, eight Purdue. Rutgers at number nine with the with a big kind of surprising win. I, I don't think MSU is going to be oh, what that's they a used shocker. to be, but still Rutgers winning a game in your opener. That Mel Tucker, you got your work cut out for you at Michigan State right now. You cannot come in and lose your first Big Ten game to Rutger, who apparently, according to Brandon Beam. They'll get their S if they finish above 500 in the Big Ten this year. So they finally got a legit Big Ten win, but they still don't get their S for beam, at least, until they go above 500. So they will be Rutger, but they are my number nine team, and as I mentioned, 10 Iowa. So let's get to our four out, who are outside of the real Big Ten this week. I I don't disagree with you that Nebraska could be a, a good team, but we didn't quite see it yesterday and i know that they went five and seven last year i know that they've lost what is it six straight to ohio state they've lost five straight to iowa until they start beating those teams in the west i'm not just going to put them ahead just because iowa lost to purdue so nebraska for me is out then the other three are obvious michigan state maryland and illinois wow wow the nebraska take there i I needed Mm -hmm. i need gloves to handle that one you're not wrong i I just don't think uh, you You gotta show it to me first i i i I like to go with what I see on the field. That's why Indiana's ahead of Penn State and Nebraska. Until you start beating teams in the Big Ten West, I can't just put you over it. That's what we always think with Nebraska. They're going to be better this year, and then they go 6-6. Six and six. Okay, that's fair. I've got Illinois. Just, I mean, I'm sorry, Illinois. There's nothing they could do against Graham Mertz. <laughs> Michigan State, Mel Tucker, you cannot lose to Rutgers. I think everybody's happy for Greg Schiano because, one, he's just over in, in New Jersey doing his own thing, mm-hmm. and he's not uh, on the defensive sideline for Ohio State. I don't know how many people. If I could ask for a show of hands, who misses Greg Schiano in Columbus? <laughs> I don't hear hands raised. I've got Michigan State, Maryland, uh, because I, they're still Maryland's in the, the worst team in the conference. They're still in the Big Ten? <laughs> and then Iowa. Sorry, Chops, but when mm. you lose to Purdue like that. It was a close game. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a close one. What and they were starting a new quarterback. He's just awful he's figuring it out. Game. I feel bad for Rondale Moore. Like, what a talent and what a crap fest of a team he's on yeah i don't i i was surprised he opted back in and then penn state that's another thing with penn state is they should be even better but the journey brown didn't play for them he might be out for the whole season they're working on a medical condition for him that they're worried about micah parsons opted out and opted to stay opted out did not come back when the season came back so Penn State, I feel like people were still, you know, in most of the AP voting, the people who at least were putting in Big Ten teams, I think they were still uh, putting Penn State where they thought the team was going to be. But I think these these players, yeah, one player doesn't make the whole team, but Micah Parsons is a dude. 
And so when he's not on the field on defense for them, it's going to make a difference. And maybe Mike Parsons makes that play and tackles Penix Jr. And then he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get the two point conversion and bam, Penn State wins, but he's not out there for them. And I think that makes a difference. So I, I think the other thing too is we're putting a little too much context on Penn State being ranked to number eighth. They're probably more like 13, 15 range. Well, go back to your earlier point. I mean, we'll be able to see just how good or not good Penn State is next week. They got the Buckeyes at seven thirty yep. in Happy Valley, and it, I, I, game day. That Sean Clifford Pat Fryermuth connection still very troubling. If you're an Ohio State fan, I, you saw yesterday. Like, if you're not able to tackle Pat Fryermuth's a very large human being, and if you're not able to cover or tackle that guy, it, it, it's going to be a fun game to watch. But uh, you know, I'd say nerves and cheap yeah. fingernails for Ohio State fans. So there you have it. That's the real Big Ten. I think as more games shake out, Eric and I will be a little bit closer this week. It's it's really hard to pick after Ohio State and Wisconsin. And then Ohio State is one. Wisconsin is like fifth, even though they're number two. All right. Let's hear from one of the few people who was actually in the stadium yesterday. 11 Warriors' Dan Hope joins us next. The Football Brunch on the Fan. Whatever you're doing right now, just know that Bo Bishop is enjoying a sip of bourbon. Even if this promo is playing in the morning, no judgment. Ah, oh, sweet morning drinking. The fan. Back here on the football brunch on the fan. Chops hanging out with you, Eric Reeser in as well. Bodie Wells on the board. We are joined now by 11warriors.com, Dan Hope. Dan, uh, you were actually in the stadium. A very different feel for this. Everybody knows it. There's cardboard cutouts. There's fake fan noise. There's a little bit of an attendance there as far as coaches, players, families, stuff like that. A little bit of a contingent from the opposing team well, but much less than the like 107,000 that is normally there on a Buckeye opening day. So first and foremost, I want to get your impressions of what this pandemic horseshoe situation looks like. And feels like yeah, it's it's really different. You know, I mean, it's, you're so used to having a full crowd there and hearing the fans react after every play, and you know, it just it was quiet. You know, it, it was quiet. You know, you, you don't have you know the roars when there's a big play. You don't have the boos if the fans disagree with the decision. And you know, I mean, it, it was certainly also really jarring when you know it's 15 minutes before the game and there's nobody on the field and the marching band is playing. Uh, through the, the scoreboard and the same thing at halftime you know just nobody at all out there on the field and you know there's a recorded performance of a halftime show uh, playing through the scoreboard but uh, just just very different you know a lot of the usual pageantry that you would see from an Ohio State football game was not there you know once once the game started and the game's playing it was it was pretty much a normal game mm-hmm. uh, but but certainly it, it just wasn't the same environment that you would have on a typical uh, Saturday in the shoot. Dan, do you personally see a, a time this season where they start to trickle in more fans or do they at least allow more tickets to be sold so they can put more butts into the seats? Or are you thinking this, what, 1,600 cap stays where it is? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I was a little more optimistic about that a few weeks ago. And now that we've started to hear a lot the last couple of weeks about these spikes in COVID-19 cases that are happening all over the country, that makes me think it's less likely that the restrictions are going to be loosened. So I don't rule it out, but I, I think the fact that, you know, in a lot of places in the country, uh, the COVID-19 numbers are going in the wrong direction probably lessens the likelihood that the Big Ten is going to reverse its decision. Let's get on to what happened in the game. Buckeyes take down Nebraska 52-17. to 17. 
I don't want to keep harping on this, and it sounds negative, but as far as me, it was really the only question mark that came out of it for me. Um, should we be worried about the rush defense or the pass rush, or do you think the defensive line is going to figure that out, and this might have just been like first-game jitters or growing pains? I mean, I, I think it's okay to be somewhat worried about it, but I also don't think it was unexpected. Like, it, that was just mm-hmm. honestly exactly what I expected in the first game is that, is that there were going to be some growing pains on defense. And I think there's going to continue to be some growing pains on defense. But, you know, I, I think the good news coming out of it is, okay, they gave up two touchdowns in their first four series. Then they only gave up three points for us to the game. So they had a bad start, but they didn't allow it to balloon from there. You think back to 2018 a couple of years ago, and we saw some of those games where the defense would get beat early and it would just get worse and worse and worse over the course of the game. We didn't see that on Saturday. We saw them make adjustments. We saw them get better as the game progressed. So I think that's a positive sign. I think they have a lot of work to do, especially going into a tough test next week at Penn State. But I wouldn't be panicked about it. I think, you know, some growing pains got to be expected for this defense. I, I think it should be expected that when you lose guys like Chase Young, like Jeff Okuda, like Damon Arnett, that you're going to have some growing pains and you might take a step back from the season before. But I think the fact that they were able to bounce back from a bad start and finish the game strong was a promising sign. Dan Hope of 11 Warriors joining us on the Football Brunch, courtesy of the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. You can follow Dan on Twitter, at Dan underscore Hope. You were mentioning just with... The, the defense, you know, kind of, uh, the, not kind of, but taking some time to really start establishing themselves. Did you, I, I saw problems on both sides of the line trying to just establish what they, what, what both, I guess both offensively and defensively, what the Buckeyes wanted to do. There was a lot of the game where it seemed, uh, where Nebraska had a better push. Do you think that's a, um, it's early and they'll get things fixed or, are we looking at problems here on both sides of the line? Yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line has a ton of talent. So I, I'd be surprised if, if they don't have success going forward this season. You know, I, don't, I don't think they were maybe as great as they were being hyped up to be uh, in, in their first game. But, you know, Ohio State still won this game by, by 35 points. You know, I think, <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of funny that they won by 35 points, and it seems like a lot of the chatter coming out of this game is, is about the negatives because, you know, they, they still ended up dominating the game. I, I think the expectations are so high for uh, Ohio State right now that, you know, people are looking to nitpick, you know, every little thing that went wrong in yesterday's game. But, you know, I think by and large it was still a strong performance by the Buckeyes. I think there's absolutely areas that they can improve. But I, I think you've got to expect that coming out of the first game because, it, you know, we, I think it's easy to forget once the game starts how weird this offseason has been, how much time uh, th- this team missed out on this offseason, and the fact that, you know, they're jumping right into a Big Ten game. You know, I think back to last year in that first game against Florida Atlantic, and, and they didn't, they had some issues in that game. They didn't look great in that game, and there was a lot of panic then, and then we saw them really turn it up as the season progressed. So I, I think some growing pains on both sides of the ball are to be expected. You know, I think what you obviously want to see is you want to see improvement in those areas next week. 
We're talking to Dan Hope of 11 Warriors here on the Football Brunch. Dan, is the running back situation going to be this like two-headed trading series situation with Master Teague and Trey Sermon? Or do you think that was more of them just trying to get like enough film of them in actual game action and more of a starting role to decide who's going to be the full-on bell cow for Ohio State this year? I think it is going to be until one of those guys separates themselves, and I don't think that happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they were both, you know, just okay yesterday. So I think, you know, I, I think it is going to be a very much a rotation alternating series type deal un, un, unless one of those guys really, you know, separates from the other. Uh, and, and, and I'm interested to see, you know, Steel Chambers works in there a little bit more too, because I thought the limited action that he got yesterday, I thought he looked good. So I, I'm intrigued to see if maybe. Uh, they, they work him in a little bit there as well because, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, you know, obviously Master T had two touchdowns, but, you know, I don't think, you know, he had a great first game. And, you know, I thought Trace, I thought Trace Sermon showed some flashes, but we didn't see a ton from him. So I, I think it's too early to make any judgments on any of them really. But I, I do think that it's definitely going to continue to be a rotation un, until we see, you know, one of those guys really start to break out. Dan, Ohio State's last touchdown was a Jack Miller run that Ryan Day had to apologize, or didn't have to, but he did apologize for after the game. Did you think it was the right call to make rather than have his freshman quarterback take a knee? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really big on apologizing for scoring in a game because, you gotta know, stop in my him. opinion, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not talking about a, a peewee game here. We're talking about college football. We're talking about Big Ten football. And it wasn't as if he was throwing passes to the end zone aggressively trying to score they were just running the ball and nebraska didn't stop them so to me i i don't know if maybe scott frost said something to him after a game and that's why he apologized but to me i'm not apologizing for that you end up i mean you're getting your freshman quarterback in for one drive you want to see what he can do and he makes a couple nice plays and so you score i i really don't think any apology was necessary Dan, I'm going to get you out of here on this. It's it's a two-parter. They're very different parts. First off, uh, how's Chris Olave doing after taking a, a scary shot to the head? He was out for the rest of the game. W- what's his status going forward? And then second, this is the football brunch. I want to know, what's your go-to brunch situation? Are you a mimosa guy? Are you a French toast guy? Just eggs and meat? What's your situation there? Yeah, first of all, Chris Olave, uh, I think, you know, it sounded like from what Ryan Day said yesterday that he wasn't worried about any major injuries or anything. Now, you know, obviously, you know, you take a shot to the head like that. I don't want to make any assumptions about what his status is going to be going forward. So I think that's something we're going to have to find out as the week progresses. But uh, it sounded promising there. And then go to brunch. I, I didn't I didn't uh, even think about that before this. But, you know, I, you know, I, I, I kind of like a lot of different things. You know, I think, you know, definitely, you know, an, an exit bacon is always good. But. You know, I like, you know, French toast and waffles, that kind of stuff, too. You know, I, I'm a pretty versatile eater, so I, there's a lot of different things that I like. Anything that can deliver syrup into my mouth, definitely good enough <laughs> exactly. for brunch. All right, Dan, thanks for joining us today. We hope to hear from you as the season goes on as well. Sounds good. Thank you for having me, guys. That was Dan Hope of 11warriors.com on the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Follow him on Twitter. Follow 11 Warriors. Best in the business. They know what they're doing. They know their Buckeye football. All right. This is the football brunch, so it's not going to be all college football. We'll set your football table for the rest of the day as the NFL action gets going next on the football brunch on the fan.
The only radio station still operating with an active booze cart. I'm drunk right now. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. The Fan. Ohio Sports Destination. Mark Finch and Eric Reeser here. You can call me Chops, though. Right here on the Football Brunch on The Fan. We'll be with you every Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to 11, going over the Buckeye game every week during the season. Hey, there are no buys this week or this year, and hopefully we don't end up with a scare where a game gets canceled. If we don't, we'll have a live Buckeye game to go over every Sunday all the way through late December. We'll we'll basically take you to Christmas here on the Football Brunch. What we also will take you to is getting your table set, not just with your brunch treats and everything you need your table set for the football sunday looking ahead we've got the nfl today and around here i think the game that everybody is going to be watching is browns Bengals. that's probably the game that everybody's going to have on for sure they met already once this season the browns got the better of the Bengals, but since then joey burrow's trajectory has pretty much seemed all up all thumbs up all good for him while baker mayfield is uh I wouldn't even call it up and down. It's not straight down, but it's kind of just flatline. Wouldn't you agree? No, not necessarily. You lost Nick Chubb. I, I think that's huge for a quarterback that yeah. is, is still trying to develop. I, I, look, I, full disclosure, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't think Baker's the franchise quarterback for this Cleveland Browns team. But anytime with anybody, I mean, you're going to see it today because the Bengals won't have Joe Mixon. The Joe Burrow's mm-hmm. going to struggle without that. I mean, again, there's varying degrees of uh, talent between Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb, and, and Chubb being the way better running back of the two. But when you lose something like that it, as a, a young quarterback, you're going to struggle. It, it, it happens, and I, I, I don't think that you know Baker necessarily oh yeah kevin stefanski's had to change the offense to make baker throw and that's rarely going to beat teams like the ravens and the steelers sure it'll beat teams like the Bengals. i expect the browns to win today but you know it, without nick chubb it's shown and i think the actual you mentioned the steelers i think they're the the big game today they're the game that i'm looking forward to the most two five and oh teams the steelers versus the titans in nashville it's the makeup game you know it was the first game that was affected by the nfl's dealing with COVID situation, all that stuff. So now we get them and a few weeks later and they're still undefeated. So I think that's a big one. You've got big old Derrick Henry running the ball for the Titans. And I think Ben Roethlisberger has looked pretty good this year. I don't know what it is. I don't know how the Steelers do it. I don't know who is evaluating wide receivers for them, but Chase Claypool looks great. They found Juju Smith-Schuster and made him a star. They had Antonio Brown before that. There's something going on with the scouting department in Pittsburgh that they know who to pick. And so Ben's got some weapons to play with. And you're Talking about syrup delivery vehicles, Mapletron's <laughs> been big for the the Pittsburgh Steelers. And yeah, that's a one o'clock game. Browns and Bengals, the battle of Ohio, for whatever that's worth, is also a one o'clock game. But yeah, if you're an actual football fan and you don't want to see you know a dumpster fire, probably watch the Steelers and the Titans. I'm a Browns fan, so I have to uh, put myself through that mess today. But yeah, I did not expect the Titans to be this good of a team. And I I think I read somewhere that Ryan Tannehill's two and zero against the Steelers. So for whatever that's worth, probably nothing. Because if I'm the Titans, just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry and watch him, you know, truck stick defenders, you know, into space. It's really cool to have the Titans, you know, get over that the COVID scare. That, I think they were only fined like $350,000 for it. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a laughable thing that the NFL did in, in terms of their COVID protocols. But yeah, both teams are 5-0. and Both teams are, are legitimate AFC title contenders. And that's probably the most fun game as a football fan to watch on this schedule. Unless, I guess, you want to see the Bills and the Jets are also 1 o'clock. 
Can I interest oh, you in wow. that? <laughs> that won't be a bloodbath at all. That'll be fine. Jo- Josh Allen will struggle in that one for sure. Hey, may- maybe it will. The stranger things have happened in the NFL, but they, I, there is absolutely no confidence to be put in the Jets. You just mentioned Ryan Tannehill. If you needed any more evidence that Adam Gaze is not the guy, look at what he did to Ryan Tannehill, who is now playing at, like, since he became the starter last year, he's basically been playing at close to an MVP level for the Titans, and they've been good. They've had some postseason wins too so Adam Gase basically destroyed Ryan Tannehill's career in Miami and now he's back up and he's doing good things with Tennessee uh some other it's really not that great of a slate today Seahawks at Cardinals is a a pretty good uh eight o'clock game uh Chiefs at Broncos interest me because you might see some snow that's really the only reason it interests me I think snow games are fun Uh, wait Chiefs are starting late, or they're not starting, but this is Le'Veon Bell's first game with Kansas City. Oh, so that, that's what intrigues me there. Okay, that that would be very interesting, and we'll see how that gels with sharing the uh, the carries with rookie Clyde edwards Elaire, who's been Elaire Elaire. Some people really like to to stress that Elaire. Steve Levy likes to put yeah. emphasis on it. As long as you leave out the H, I guess that's the correct way to pronounce his name. The, sure. the, the H is silent, but we can all at least agree on that part. But you might see some snow in that one. Mahomes said earlier this year or this week that he actually enjoys throwing the ball in the snow. I'm not sure why, but I think that's fun. Get a snow game in there. And then 49ers, Patriots. Uh, it's not a Belichick disciple in a coaching matchup, but it is with Jimmy Garoppolo being the quarterback for the 49ers. And I don't know. The relationship seems weird there. So I think there's some intrigue with that one. I think that about sets your table for the NFL day. It's not a, like I said, it's not a great day. We've got the finishing up the Battle of Ohio. We've got the 5-0 and Steelers-Titans game. And then it's pretty much just pack it in until we get to that 8 o'clock game and see what Russell Wilson can do as he is, he's probably leading, you know, for a lot of people, the MVP race. Uh, he's probably up there for me. Yeah, yeah actually, him, Patrick Mahomes are, are duking it out for that spot. Um, I, I had Aaron Rodgers until last week. Whoops. Yeah. He well, played so well early, and then yeah. it was no. It was not. They'll be angry this week, too, the Packers. It'll be interesting to see what they do. They've got the Texans, who maybe are better after firing their coach. Probably are. Bill O'Brien, idiot. Whatever. Moving on, The keep it locked here on The Fan for the rest of the day. we got all your gambling and fantasy needs up next with Dave Biddle and Scotty Vegas on the money. At 1 o'clock, we've got that Steelers-Titans game right here on The Fan. We'll join that Chiefs-Broncos game and then Seahawks at Cardinals. I actually didn't really look at this list until I just read it off. But the games that I said I was interested in are the three we're playing. So you've got everything you need right here on the fan today. We'll be back next Sunday. Chops with Eric Reeser. Bodie on the board for the football brunch after the Buckeyes late spooky game up in Happy Valley for Halloween night. That's like a 730 kick game day. We'll be there. Game day, game day, whatever. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Game night. Yeah, sure. It's been the football brunch right here on the fan. If the sound of another man slammed against plexiglass turns you on, you've come to the right place. Proud to be your home for Jackets Hockey. The Fan, Ohio sports destination.